This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, February the 8th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, it is Black History Month, so the Africville Museum in Halifax is going to be having some events. Juanita Peters from the museum will tell you all about it. Brock Richardson standing by for a sports chat, but before we get to Brock, it's the regional news updates. Beginning in British Columbia, BC has declared September 30th a statutory holiday to mark the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. BC's Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation Minister Murray Rankin reflects on the significance of the day. Reconciliation is a process of healing relationships. It requires public truth-telling, apology and commemoration that acknowledges and seeks to address past harms. As a province, we too have a responsibility to remember the children who never came home. We have a responsibility to honor the strength, the resilience, and the dignity of survivors. The federal government, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and the Yukon have all declared September 30th a statutory holiday. Over to the prairies, Saskatchewan repeatedly underestimated how many rapid antigen tests were needed during the height of the COVID-19's fourth wave. Testing became a key part of the province's reopening plan in the fall of 2021. Documents obtained under the Freedom of Information laws show Saskatchewan emailing Health Canada in September and October in 2021 asking for millions more tests than it had originally requested. At the start of September, Provincial Health Authority staff emailed Health Canada saying one million tests would be sufficient for at least two months. Just over a week later, the Health Authority emailed the department to say its warehouse was empty and requested a scheduled delivery of tests be expedited. Health Canada asked if Saskatchewan would want to order more and provincial staff said the original order was sufficient. By the end of October, the province asked for an additional two million tests. And over to Ontario, the Financial Accountability Office of Ontario released its report about the government's finances. Alison Jones takes a closer look. Economic and Budget Outlook report projects a deficit of $2.5 billion in this fiscal year, but expects surpluses through the next several years. In the government's own fall economic update, it projected a deficit of nearly $13 billion this year and smaller deficits over the next two years. The FAO says the differences are due to a lower spending projection by its office, combined with higher revenue expectations. Alison Jones, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, talks between striking faculty members and Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador will resume this afternoon. The Faculty Association has been on strike since January 30th, seeking higher wages and more say in university governance. The union held talks with the administration yesterday for the first time since the strike began. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, for people who stayed up way late last night, they got to experience LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers breaking the NBA all-time scoring record. Brock, your reaction to LeBron passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Uh, this record stood for nearly 39 years until LeBron broke it himself. I think that this is a, a tremendous record. The record stood at 38,000... 387 which is now 388 of course um but yeah what a what a moment um this is it's always something kind of nice kind of cool to see uh records breaking and i think uh lebron kind of made some remarks saying that he thinks you know he's he's the best and he's the best to ever play the game i, I think there could be some uh you know some debate about that but now that he's broken this record i think he's pretty close to being uh, a goat and uh, the confidence is well deserved when you break a record like that 
If he's not number one, he's definitely number two. By the time all is said and done, he'll be number one in the all-time assists category as well. He's currently top 10 all-time in rebounds. LeBron James has won four titles in three different cities. He's done pretty much everything you could ask a professional basketball player to do in the modern era. He is phenomenal. But Brock, it was not a freebie for folks who wanted to watch (laughs) this one in person last night at the Crypto.com Arena. Brock, you did a little snooping on StubHub yesterday. Yes, I did. And uh, some of these tickets sold for, wait for it, $180 thousand dollars people have too much money and it's just insane and some of them uh sold for the his next game as well um who's the the opponents escaped me at the moment um but yeah it's it's just it's mind-boggling uh you know i was having some conversations with people yesterday and it was like you know you could put a down payment on a house for that uh and you're going well maybe not in toronto Maybe not, or, or 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 in LA, yeah, for that for that matter. But you know, it's just I I would never. I mean, I have so much more that I could do, and I'm a huge sports fan. Let me be very clear: I'm a huge sports fan, and I think the history of these things would would be cool. But I have much better things to do with 180 thousand, and the fact that somebody can um, put that amount of money. And hopefully not be broke after it. Uh, credit to them. I'm throwing you on the spot here, Brock. What's the most you've ever spent on a sports ticket? I'll tell you mine first if it makes you feel better. Yes, go ahead because I gotta think. For me, it was a little over two hundred dollars to buy a ticket to a Montreal Canadiens Tampa Bay Lightning playoff game in 2015 in the Desjardins section of the Bell Center, which comes with all-you-can-eat uh, arena food alongside your ticket. So overall, definitely a pricey, a pricey uh, playoff ticket, but not one that absolutely broke the bank. I did have to get a hotel room because I lived in Ottawa at the time. So, <laughs> so I guess I guess uh, there were some added expenses there beyond uh, just my ticket. I think when I went to my first uh, Raptors game uh, a couple of years ago, I think I spent in and around the 200, 220 mark because it was one of the marquee games. Like it was a, it was a LA Brooklyn, something, something like that, that they played. But yeah, it, it hurt when you're just like, Oh yeah, this is to go to a sporting event. And let's not forget the fact that that's just to get in the door and then your concessions and your, you know, you know all that sort of stuff so yeah lots of lots of money can be spent at sporting events very quickly and very easily you know what's a bit of a bummer though brock is that the la lakers lost the game to the oklahoma city thunder last night they lost by a couple of points that was a must-win game for them as that's one of the teams they're chasing in the playoff hunt right now it's kind of a bummer that lebron james breaks this record in this season and it's looking like the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs. To me, that's a bummer, right? Because he's still playing well. He played at an MVP caliber last year, almost won the scoring title, still having a great year this year. But that team just stinks. Yeah. And it, it's it's awful when you consider, you know, as good of a talent as LeBron James is and, you know, being 20 years in in, in the league, uh, you know, and and you're still playing at a level. And then the team around you just doesn't, you know, do do it for you. And again, if you're not getting up to play a game where this could be a record set for your teammate, then what are you getting up for? And I think... You know, they could have played with a little bit more spirit than they did last night, given the surrounding nature of the game itself. It's also his fault, though, because it's not just reporting. It's a fact that he and his management group, Clutch Management, have largely done the general manager work for the L.A. Lakers since he got there a couple of years ago and have just made disastrous trade after disastrous trade. The player empowerment era has offered a lot of things, a lot of positives to players, but the way in which LeBron and his management team took over that franchise and have done a terrible job in terms of their management of assets... uh, uh, he dug his own grave here. So I only have so much sympathy for the guy. LeBron James, the basketball player, amazing. LeBron James, the basketball executive, eh, 
still a little bit lacking. Brock, speaking of transactions versus action, there's been some interesting reporting around the Kyrie Irving trade that took place on Sunday. Took a little longer to finalize, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and Mark Stein of the New York Times, because the Brooklyn Nets were trying to involve a third team in the deal, and that third team was the Toronto Raptors. Apparently, the Brooklyn Nets were trying to spin a few of the assets they got from Dallas over to Toronto to acquire Fred Van Vliet. So Brock, as what's your reaction to the story about this three-way dance that never came to be in the Kyrie Irving trade? So my reaction to it is that when I saw this post from Ad or this tweet from Adrian, I I, I didn't I, I didn't know this was going on, and I and when I first saw the original post, I didn't even realize that the Toronto Raptors were part of the the third team i think i would have been a little bit more uh tolerable of it um had i known that, that the raptors were part of it i think that you know when you get such a big you know a big trade with kyrie and we've talked about what kyrie is as a human being as a as a basketball player but i think when you get that you want to get as many teams and you know use trades and make blockbuster trades as much as you can and i think it's fair to say it's interesting that it didn't go through i would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in some of these conversations in that you know you know getting uh, trading fred van vliet for some of their assets it would have been interesting but nonetheless it didn't actually go through and uh it always seems to be that kyrie irving even though it's not his fault dave is among the you know controversy of three-team trade but the third team didn't you know go through it always seems to be that he's the center of this you know conversation of like let's do this but let's also then see it fall through so it, yeah it's it's bizarre that he's always in the thick of it even if he's not necessarily directly doing it himself or or involved at all like like let's yeah. I, I, I get the joke you're making brock but i think it's actually really unfair i think you're piling on Kyrie a little bit there that's the dysfunction of the brooklyn nets not the dysfunction yeah. of Kyrie irving but that's a fair criticism as well because that organization has been an absolute train wreck mm -hmm. since they signed Kyrie and kevin durant in the summer of 2019 speaking of teams opening up the wallet as of right now brock we are still unaware of the number but Bo Bichette and the Toronto Blue Jays have avoided arbitration. They've signed him to an extension of three years. Again, not sure what the number is on this, but how are you feeling about the Toronto Blue Jays locking up Bo Bichette for at least three more years? I'm feeling really, really good about it. I was worried the longer we went on with this, the, the more damage that would be done with him possibly going to arbitration and not signing with the Toronto Blue Jays. I like this move. I think I've we've seen a lot of the, the Blue Jays moves that have happened lately that have said, listen, we're in it to uh, uh, get this done. And I know some of the, you know, trades they've made are, are you know, coming off of injuries and we don't know what it's going to be. But I do think Bo is in the right position. And again, I have to be a fly on the wall wondering if his father, Dante Bichette, who played in the league, uh, was kind of integral in this and saying, look, son, you're getting an opportunity to, to sign for, you know, long term, longer term, and you should do it. I like the signing, but it brings to question after the three years, is he going to be here long, long term? I'm still not sold on him being here as long term as Vladimir Guerrero Jr., not that anybody cares about the way that baseball contracts work, but the way this deal is structured is going to take him right into an unrestricted free agency. So after these three yeah. years, he can go wherever he wants. So there could be a little bit, not to not to needle at Toronto Maple Leafs fans, there could be a little bit of that Austin Matthews to this. Oh, the extension I signed takes me right to the year that I'm going to be an unrestricted free agent and then maybe get the heck out of Toronto. But I, but I'm, don't worry, I'm not needling you guys. I'm not doing that, Brock. I knew I would never do that. <laughs> Right, of course, and and look, I'll I'll say this to you as well. I I think his signing is by design. I honestly, I think it is exactly the reason he did what he did. He said, "This brings me right to free agency. I don't have to worry about arbitration anymore. We don't have the exact number, as you mentioned. If I can get it, if we get it by tomorrow, I'll I'll throw it in there. But it, it, irregardless, he's here until free agency. It's just after that, 
I look and I go, are you going to be here after that? Because I yeah. have my doubts. Seriously, yeah. I really do. If I could offer a prediction, the reported the reported numbers is that he was asking for three years and $21 million. The Jays were offering three years and $15 million. So I suspect, Brock, by the time we get here tomorrow, we're looking at three years, $18 million. That's my prediction. That's where, that's yeah. where I'm at. That's where I'm at as, you yeah. know, educated guess. Yeah, I think I think you're about right because again when you get into these negotiations it's you're asking for something they're asking for something and you meet somewhere in the middle and both sides probably leave a little bit on the table put a little bit too much everybody's a little unhappy when <laughs> when it's all said and done but then yeah. we all sing kumbaya and we say well you're here for three more years let's go play baseball and with his and 18 million dollars he can buy a small condo in downtown Toronto Brock thank you for this Thank you. <laughs> That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from uh, Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's mainly sunny this morning and then becoming cloudy with a chance of snow. The high is minus 3, feeling like minus 20. In Charlottetown, PEI. It's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or possible freezing rain. The high is zero, but feeling like minus 14 with that wind chill. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's snow or possible freezing rain this morning, and then it'll be cloudy in the afternoon, and the high is three degrees. In Quebec City, Quebec, it is mainly cloudy with a chance of snow this morning. The high is one degree, feeling like minus 10. In, here in Toronto, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and cloud with a chance of snow this morning, but clearing up in the afternoon, and the high is 7 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's sunny, it's a high of 3 degrees, and feeling like minus 9. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain this afternoon. The high is minus 1, feeling like minus 10. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's snow or freezing rain throughout the day, and there's up to two centimeters set to fall. The high is minus one, feeling like minus 10, and there is a freezing rain advisory in effect. To Lethbridge, Alberta now, where it's cloudy with a chance of snow, and the wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour. The high is two degrees, but with the wind chill, it makes it feel like minus six. In Red Deer, Alberta, there's snow this morning, then clearing up in the afternoon, there's up to four centimeters expected to fall. The highest minus one, feeling like minus 10. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of some snow. The highest minus eight, feeling like minus 17. To Kelowna, BC, where it's uh, quite a lovely day, it's a mainly sunny, it's the highest six degrees, a bit cool, feeling like minus four. And then finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of six degrees. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, the Ontario Parasport game took place over the weekend. The newest contributor and columnist on Now with Dave Brown, Emily Shavers, took it in. So you'll get a chance to hear, Emily, hear about Emily's experience and meet Emily Shavers. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Ontario Parasport Games have been top of mind all week. You've been hearing interviews with athletes and organizers that Alex Smythe conducted. But there were lots of people taking in a multitude of events across the Durham region, including the newest columnist on Now with Dave Brown, Emily Shavers. Hey, good morning, Emily. How's it going? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm well. So, Amy, uh, Emily, you uh, took in some events. What did you take in at the Ontario Parasport Games? I had the pleasure of watching five-a-side soccer, also known as blind soccer, and a lot of goalball games. And how was your experience? It was so good. I think it's been over three years since I've been to a sporting event because of the pandemic, especially parasports. And so just getting back out and being able to cheer on the teams and get the 
in-person experience of watching these events take place again was surreal. Yeah, there's something really special about being around people who are enthusiastic and caring about these things. And it sort of trickled in a little bit here and there. I know last year during the Blind Hockey Championships at the Madame Centre, you know, there was a nice crowd and there was like a good energy, but it seems more and more you're going to these events now and like the places are just really roaring. People are looking forward to these opportunities to either cheer on friends or family or just taking in some sporting in the afternoon. Absolutely. And that's basically what I did. <laughs> hey, so uh, like on sort of a, a different note here, obviously you were a spectator on the weekend. Do you participate at all? Are you involved in any different sporting organizations? I'm actually pretty involved in sport. I'm both a blind soccer coach as well as a goalball athlete. I did not get the opportunity to play this weekend due to other commitments, but I'm looking forward to provincials in March. How did you get into being a uh, blind soccer coach? Uh, last year at CNIB Lake Joe, we hosted the first ever uh, blind soccer coaching uh, athletes weekend, uh, which is actually taking place again this year. And as one of the CNIB Lake Joe staff members, I had the opportunity to participate, uh, learn all things blind soccer and how we could best facilitate our programs throughout the year for our campers. All right on. So switching gears to something totally different, you won Miss Personality Eastern Canada in 2022. Now, Emily, you have to help me out with this because I want to make sure I get my terminology right. What is the right way to refer to these competitions is pageants an appropriate way to refer to it they are absolutely pageants but they're not the typical beauty pageants that people usually think of uh they're actually personality pageants based on exactly that your personality <laughs> so so what typically goes into preparing for a pageant we have a lot of different areas of competition, everything from interviews, social media, essays, outfit of choice walks. And so preparation starts as soon as registration happens. Uh, and it can actually be months leading up to the in-person pageant weekend or the virtual pageant crowning where you're thinking about what outfits am I gonna wear? Or how am I going to answer these interview questions? And thinking about the way that you're just going to portray yourself and put yourself out there with your best foot forward. It, it strikes me as a really interesting hobby, but maybe one that's not commonplace. How did you find out about them? How did you become interested in them? I actually took place in an in-person pageant back in 2019 and it didn't go super well. Uh, it was a very inaccessible experience and I thought I was never going to compete in another pageant again. And then these virtual pageants came around during the pandemic that were fundraiser based. And I thought it was a really great way to just support the community while doing something fun and building skills that are very transferable to your career. And so I started competing again and all of a sudden, I had won my first teen uh, provincial title, Miss Teen Personality Ontario 2021. And that was the first kind of step that maybe I could do this. And I got really excited. And I was building this sisterhood, this community with people from across the country. And it became just such a magical experience that I didn't want to give up then and there. So you may have just touched on it right there. But what's the part you enjoy the most about it? I, I do truly love the sisterhood and the ability to make friends from all across the province. Um, but in terms of area of competition, my favorite is definitely interview. I am a talker. I love answering questions, especially in this pageant world where there are a lot to do with things that are about me. So it's questions about how I am a disability advocate and how I'm competing in para sports and different aspects of my life that I love talking about. What's the hardest part about it? The hardest part is definitely the amount of work that it takes and trying to balance something so fun and a hobby like a pageant while doing school and work and trying to just make sure you've got all your ducks in a row, as well as for virtual pageants, 
finding a space that works for filming videos of things like an outfit of choice walk am i going to do it in the hallway of my house or outside on a sidewalk and then you have the nerves of people watching you as you film this video in a gown outside <laughs> okay i was going to ask you about that because you sent us a couple pictures of you in the gown and like it's it's fantastic like your fashion sense is incredible but how do you how do you like narrow down what it is you want to wear for that walk what's that process like it's definitely a process in that I go shopping with my mom and we try on everything in the store. I recently came across an amazing find from a bridal boutique that had prom dresses and was had a like $20 dress sale. And I went in and I tried on literally everything. I judged like the fit of it, I what I how I felt in it, and my mom was telling me if colors looked good on me and and from there, you can narrow it down. And I was lucky enough to walk away from three pieces that day. Uh, apologies for the Captain Obvious question here, but how does it feel when you win? Oh my goodness. It's not just a win for me. It's a win for every person with a disability who thought that they did not belong in the beauty or pageant industry. And so I always tell the story of the first time I won a title, I was like crunched into a little ball kind of kneeling on my uh, spinny chair and I heard my name and I almost stood up on a spinny chair and like <laughs> potentially broke my neck. Um, and it's such a funny story because that's the exact reaction. It's this explosive energy of, oh my goodness, I've achieved this thing. And as I said, it, it's not just for me, it's for any person who's tried to do something that was out of their comfort zone and that they maybe didn't feel like they belong in and having that representation and being a role model was everything to me. So after you win, what kind of expectations come with that? Do you end up having to uh, engage a lot in community activities, et cetera, uh, make appearances, those kinds of things? There's a huge community piece of it and being able to wear your crown and sash and be able to get out in the community and do things. But it's also a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. Just last Sunday, I got to crown a new Miss Personality Ontario 2023, which is the title I had last year, and getting to welcome new girls into the sisterhood. And, you know, I do get to make community appearances and I get to post about it on social media and it is a lot of fun. Um, but even just being able to welcome more people and tell more people about what the system is trying to do and how to get involved and put yourself out there in a new way and try something new uh, is just as fun. Right on. Emily, obviously we pigeonholed you a little bit today, but you're someone who has a business and is a student and does a lot of other interesting advocacy. So we were kind of narrow in our focus today, but I can't wait to continue this conversation with you over the course of the next couple months. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's Emily Shavers, the newest columnist on Now with Dave Brown. Coming up next... As part of Black History Month, the, the Africville Museum in Halifax is going to be hosting some events. Juanita Peters from the museum will tell you all about them. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back it's now with dave brown on ami it's currently black history month and events are taking place all across the country but one event in particular is commemorating a significant community in one part of the country and that community is africville in nova scotia here to tell you about the event is Juanita peters Juanita is the executive director of the africville museum she's also an award-winning writer playwright and director Juanita, thank you for making time today we really appreciate it well, thank you so much. It's so great to be with you. So you're going to be hosting a special event at Digby Pines called Africville Can't Stop Now. What's going to be taking place at this event? Well, first of all, um, I'm really excited about being in that area where we rarely get to visit it and tell this story and share it. Uh, so at 7 o'clock, uh, people will arrive. We will have a little meet and greet. Then we will talk, uh, watch the film, Africville Can't Stop Now. That film was actually created in 2009. Um, prior to the public apology in 2010. Uh, and so a lot has happened since that film was made. 
And so we'd love to, uh, you know, uh, talk to people about uh, what sort of things have happened since 2010, 11, and 12, where we are today. We, I'm sitting here right now in the, in the um, uh, replica of Seaview Baptist Church, which was built in 2012, which came out of the uh, apology. Uh, and there's so much growth happening here. I'll also have a former resident with me, um, uh, Bernice uh, Arsenal, will be uh, with me. And, you know, Bernice, you know, tells th these marvelous stories of what it was like growing up in Africville. I like celebrating small communities. And so I'm hoping that the people of, of Digby County and Annapolis County, if they come as well, uh, will also be able to share sort of what are the highlights of living in their small communities. Just because a community is small doesn't mean it cannot have a important impact on the fabric of not just the region, but the whole country. Why is Africville such a significant piece of the fabric of Canadian history? Well, you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate that people don't know the story of Black Canadians and Indigenous Black Canadians. And the fact that uh, the people of Africville and the people, uh, Blacks in Nova Scotia, were the first Indigenous Blacks here. So we were the first people uh, to arrive as free individuals uh, by the thousands. Um, and at one point in Canadian history, Nova Scotia was the only place uh, where there was a colony of free Blacks outside of the continent. We've been here for 400 years, so the history is very rich. Uh, it's a complicated history, but a very rich and strong history. And, and people, um, I think, are starting to appreciate that now. As part of this event, there's going to be a screening of the 2009 documentary of the same name, Af Africville Can't Stop Now. What is that documentary going to be exploring? What's that documentary going to be sharing? Yeah, so that documentary was actually uh, made coming up to 40 years after people had left the community, uh, after the community was destroyed. And so the purpose of that documentary was to look at uh, people today who had um, experienced it and see if their views had changed. So it's really told uh, through the eyes of three particular individuals, two brothers and one cousin, who um, attacked the, the issue of Africville in, in three very different ways. But how did they see it 40 years ago? How did they see it at that time? Uh, and then uh, Bernice and I will be talking about how people see it today and what are the things that people are hoping to see in the future. So when we're talking about these kinds of events as part of the broader part of Black History Month, how important is it that we end up focusing, you mentioned this before, how important is it that we end up focusing on some of the small rather than just the big? Well, communities are, let's just say that boundaries are man-made. And so your world can be as small or as big as you like it to be. And I want people to consider, um, especially people who hopefully will be coming to this event, that Africville was the size of Annapolis Royal. And so uh, if you think about someone coming and um, um, bulldozing Annapolis Royal, you know, how would that feel? Um, it's really important for people to see the connections between communities, the connections between people, you know, how do we live our lives? How do we survive? What does it look like in good times and bad times? Because we all have them. But most importantly, how do we treat our neighbors? It sounds like there's going to be a number of interesting events going on throughout the month. Where should people go to learn more about the Africville Museum? Well, you can visit us on our, our website. Uh, we have uh, several people who also have uh, Facebook pages. We have Twitter. Um, you know, all social media, we're there. And so if you just go and take a look and see what's happening, you know, on a, on a, on a monthly basis, uh, and we're open, you know, we're open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, just come and see us. Right on. We need to thank you for making time for us today. Best of luck with all the events going on throughout the month and best of luck with all the, with all the important work going on throughout the year. Thank you so very much. That's Juanita Peters, the Executive Director of the Africville Museum. Africville Can't Stop Now will take place February 18th at the Digby 
Pines Golf Resort and Spa. For tickets, you can visit digbypines.ca slash Africville. That's digbypines slash Africville. Coming up next, Jim Tokos from the Canadian Council of the Blind will discuss this year's White Cane Week. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI White Cane Week. It's currently taking place. It's put on by our friends at the Canadian Council of the Blind. And here to tell you more about this year's festivities is Jim Tokos. Jim is the national president of the CCB. Jim, how's it going? Nice to uh, hang out with you for our annual hangouts. Nice to hang out with you, Dave, as always. <laughs> so, Jim, let's start with the theme behind this year's White Cane Week. What's the overarching theme? The overarching theme is uh, um, eye health and uh, um, um, and eye care. And uh, um, uh, this year, we're not having our usual curling bond spiel as we usually do, uh, our annual event, um, which uh, uh, you know still due to due to COVID is uh, as restricted the amount of teams that we can bring in. So uh, we've postponed it for this year. Um, so really, we're doing a lot of grassroots uh, 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 stuff within our organization across the country. Which really speaks to a lot of the great work the CCB does. So much of it is at the grassroots. It's only a few days into the week, but how's it been going so far? It has been going well. Many, many chapters across the country uh, have been reporting in on activities they've been doing uh, and awareness, uh, which is great. Uh, and they're out there uh, showing off their abilities, which is wonderful. What are some of the events? I know you said a lot of them tend to be local, so we'd probably be here all day if we started doing the community calendar. But what are some events that you'd want to put on the radar for people to anticipate for the remainder of the week? Uh, I think some of the important things um, um, is, you know, um, you know, the, the people are out there showcasing their abilities. And, uh, you know, we as an organization are really pushing um, for better eye health and, uh, and uh, you know, and um, um, uh, managing eye health. Uh, you know, we've had successes like uh, uh, the approval of a drug called Lexterna. Um, we're pushing for a national health desk uh, with Health Canada, uh, national eye health desk. And uh, uh, we're also pushing for reforming the assistive devices program in Ontario. And across the country. Right on. Uh, one of the announcements that I saw coming across the wire out of White Cane Week is a partnership with the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians and Envision involving Script Talk. So what's the CCB up to with that partnership? So with Script Talk, a um, uh, big part of that is, uh, as you know, uh, you know, it's it's efficacy, safety and efficacy for, you know, people who have low or no vision or seniors um, so that they can properly read the prescription bottles. Um, it's it's a partnership event, uh, um, you know, and we're we're looking at uh, um, making it nationwide, trying to get Health Canada involved in it as well. So, Jim, over the course of the last month or so, there have been quite a few segments on this show remembering the late David Onley, the former Lieutenant Governor of Ontario. He had a relationship with the CCB. He was featured. Uh, the CCB featured David Onley on the cover of its White Cane Week magazine. How are folks around the CCB and the CCB more generally remembering David Onley? I I met David personally many many times, and uh, uh, you know, in in my opinion, he's probably one of the greatest advocates that we've 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 seen in Ontario, and uh, and always uh, advocating by example. And uh, I, as a matter of fact, I visited the uh, uh, when he was lying in state. I visited Toronto and uh, I met with his family at that time. Yeah, he was someone who had an outsized impact on the oh, community amazing, and on the province. Amazing. Just a wonderful guy who was loaded with amazing advocacy and incredible kindness. And it seems like he uh, touched a lot of people over the course of uh, his career. Uh, Jim, sorry. Always I, I, a smile on his face. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Jim, I, I kind of wandered there. I wandered off White Cane Week. My apologies. But just coming back to White Cane Week, as you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be a bit smaller scale, but that doesn't mean there's there isn't a lot happening. So where can people learn more about White Cane Week? 
Okay, so the, you know we're we're doing uh, a lot of uh, of the activities that we used to do in February um, into May and and October. Um, so Vision Health Month is May. Um, so some of the uh, the major activities that you know CCB does is with their uh, sponsors and um, and their um, their big um, um, a dinner uh, uh, for the sponsors is going to be in in uh, May. And we're also pushing some activities into September or October as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that uh, that as you mentioned, the curlings, the, the curling bond spiel is not happening this year. Usually, the big gala dinner that you guys would have around that isn't happening. So it's a bit of a bummer, but it doesn't mean that we can't still have the celebration a little bit later in the year when things become maybe a little bit logistically easier. So you know, it's like yeah, we White Cane Week is every every week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it goes. Hey, Jim, it's always lovely catching up with you. All the best to you and your colleagues at the C. CB and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, down the road. Thank you, Dave. It's, it's been a pleasure. That is Jim Tokos, the president of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And if you want to learn more about the organization from a national perspective, it's ccbnational.net. That's ccbnational.net. Net. Let's bring in some of the gang here to have a roundtable chat to wrap up the show, starting by saying hello to the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, Ramya Amethyn. Ramya, how are you feeling? Hey, but much better, Dave. Thank you. That's what we like to hear. Glad to hear that you're on the mend. You did miss a couple of good shows while you were gone, though. There was a segment yesterday on the show about dry toothbrushing, which I thought, which I found particularly interesting. Yes, I was looking forward to that, but I will listen back to the podcast. <laughs> well, you know, my, a couple of my dentist friends have told me that's the way to go. You got to leave the toothpaste on your teeth. And I'm like, you know how gross that would be? That's disgusting. Yeah. And they're like, Dave, it's for your tooth health, not how you feel on your mouth. I'm like, no, 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 no. I only want, good, I only want a good tasting mouth. That's it. <laughs> Exactly. No, I know exactly what you're saying. There's a lot of resistance. <laughs> uh, Romeo, speaking of Kelly and Romeo, what's coming up on the show today? 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Well, we're talking TV with Greg David and specifically the top five best British detective TV shows out there. And yeah, that's a mouthful, actually. Uh, but yeah, he says they're very different from just any kind of um, detective show. So we're going to talk about that. And also tons of winter festivals and activities going on in New Brunswick. We're learning more about that with Marissa Hersey, our new community reporter from St. John, New Brunswick. And business planning. Every other week, we talk entrepreneurship with Kevin Shaw, who you also have here on the mm -hmm. show. Uh, but today he's talking about how easy it can be to plan your business at least easier than we think so he'll break that down for us <laughs> yeah you know I, I like to avoid the word easy in the way that yeah. I talk about these things I like to say straightforward straightforward sure. is the word that I use instead it's not easy it's straightforward it's um something but it's <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know what it can be I've never divulged in this yeah well you, when you and i launch our business we'll, we'll ask kevin for That's some advice right. on that one okay speaking of our business our business is broadcasting let's bring in the co-host of the show alex Smythe, as well as ami audio producer nazreen abdel majid for a roundtable chat alex we've been dabbling in some intensity the last couple of days so you wanted to uh, lighten things up a smidge today yeah you know i i just wanted to uh find out how everyone felt about you know, lunchtime. We 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 were talking earlier in the show. All the there's too many days and weeks and all this awareness uh, uh, campaigns. But I just want to get to really the core of what uh, we need to talk about today, and that is sandwiches. And Dave, <laughs> what makes a good sandwich? Is it the the type of bread you use? Is it the 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 veggies or or the accoutrement you add in is it the protein or the filling that really goes into it so Ramya why don't we start with you what makes a good sandwich to you um it's the balance of not the right kind because I can be very experimental with sandwiches and burgers right but the right balance of sauce crunch juicy you know protein and the right kind of bread so it has to be like the perfect bite every bite that's the only thing i'll be specific about i don't care about sweet versus savory what you're using for the crunch or the topping or whatever but it has to be like the right amount i don't like it too saucy or too many vegetables or things just sliding off or the bread is too crunchy on the outside like those are the things that i i go eh. I, 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 like consistency has to be balanced 
Can can I quibble with the premise, Alex? Do you mind? Sure. No, go ahead, Dave. Or, 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 or maybe or maybe not even quibble with the premise so much as ask you some methodological questions to this. Sure. We're working under the assumption that everything in the sandwich is of a base level of good, right? Like we're talking about making the perfect sandwich. Hmm. No, it doesn't even have to be the perfect sandwich. What makes for a good sandwich? What is really the thing that uh, makes it the sandwich good? As Ramya said, it's it's the balance of the ingredients. It's everything coming together. Are there like what? How would you make a good sandwich? Maybe that's a, a better question to to pose it for you, Dave. Uh, uh, allow me to allow me to reframe. The way sure. that I've quibbled and you've reframed at me is we're, we're almost we're almost like house framers here. We're carpenters <laughs> as we're building this together. I'm now working under the assumption that like there can be a bad component in the sandwich and the sandwich can withstand the bad component. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What's the it, bad it, component? Yeah, that, that, that's to me, that's almost an interesting question. What's the bad <laughs> thing that a sandwich can overcome? Because I would tell you if the bread is bad, like if the bread tastes bad, you're in trouble right off the top, yeah, right? Yeah, forget it. If, if you're filling like your cold cuts or your cheese or whatever the uh, sort of core of the sandwiches is bad, you're also in trouble. Maybe I suppose you can survive a bad pickle, a bad lettuce, or bad tomato. But even then, like, if there's a bad lettuce, bad tomato, or bad pickle in my sandwich, mm-hmm. it's going to ruin the overall sandwich experience. Nazreen, because you affirmed there, and I think I'm already angering Alex, you should probably take over for a second here and, and quibble with my quibbling or take Alex's question in good faith. I'm going to I'm going to say what makes a bad sandwich is when the filling is dry. So for example, if I'm eating shawarma, I would say if the chicken is very dry, that just ruins the whole sandwich. What makes the best sandwich is the sauce. If you have really good filling of sauce in every in every um corner of your sandwich and it's just spread out so nicely it makes it a little bit juicier even if the filling is dry it just makes it a little bit juicier and you know um still appetizing to eat uh so that's i think that's what makes the best sandwich the sauce is uh, like the best thing about for me nizreen and i oftentimes share a lot of agreements in the food world and alex as i (laughs) as i take your question on good faith now nizreen is right on the money Condiments. Condiments are the thing that can put the sandwich over the edge from being Mm -hmm. your basic ho-hum experience to something that absolutely blow your minds, right? You can get the budget cold cuts from the uh, grocery store. You can get the, the simple white or whole wheat bread from the grocery store. But if you put a killer mayonnaise or mustard in there, whoo! Oh boy, yes. now you are cooking with fire. Alex, I know that I, I sort of cut up your question a little bit, but <laughs> I should give you the opportunity to weigh in on this as well. Yeah, no. so uh, you know what? I am going to address your your question, your premise, Dave. What, what bad ingredient or aspect can a sandwich overcome? And I will actually say the sauces. In my defense, I think the bread is the most important thing in the sandwich because that is the first thing you are going to taste, you are going to feel, the bread has to be right. If it's a bad uh, bread or or consistency or whatever the, uh, I guess, the wrapping, the container of the sandwich, it's gonna throw the rest of the experience off. I, I could deal with a bit of dry meat, I can deal with, you know, some uh, good veggies and stuff. And if there's a bit too much sauce, a bit too little sauce, a bit too, too much in, in terms of the flavor, a bit too little, I feel the sandwich can still be good as a result. But I, I think Ramya hit it on the head. It's, it's all about balance with when it comes to a sandwich. Make it, you have to have it that one one aspect or one element is not overpowering the rest too much. Okay, we've got three minutes on the clock. So let's take about 45 seconds each to all build our own perfect sandwich. And because I'm selfish, I'm going first. Sourdough <laughs> bread, mayonnaise, provolone cheese, mortadella, capicol, salami with a nice pickle and tomato on top with some spicy mustard. Put that thing together, cut it up, give it a toasting, away you go. That's my perfect sandwich. Ramya, what's your perfect Mm. sandwich? Uh, I am not going to go anywhere near your perfect sandwich. That sounded (laughs) well prepped. Uh, I don't know, man. I just love anything that's a real meaty sandwich, like a brisket Mm. or, uh, yeah, you know, just I'm going to say brisket. But I also love like a real basic sandwich, like egg salad with just a kick of sriracha, Mm. just something like that. But truly, like Alex, I will 
the second and third you, the bread is what makes the first impression of your sandwich. And if your bread looks bad, it's cold instead of supposed to be warm or over toasted, then I already have a bad first impression of the sandwich. Nazreen, build me your perfect sandwich. I'm going to have to say between basic and really yummy. So for my basic sandwich, I'd say grilled cheese with a little bit of onions inside is yeah. so nice. good. Nice. Yes. But if I were to prepare a real big sandwich, I would say uh, toast bread, white toast bread, toasted, and with uh, turkey, cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, um, green peppers, extra pickles, and and a little bit of mayonnaise, and mm, let's spice it up with a little bit of maybe ranch sauce, I think. So, oh, wow. I, th- I didn't think about it just one bit. This is... <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 the that's the no that, at the subway counter just improvising like ah give me a little bit of this give just me a little bit of that, that. Yeah, just yeah. throw it in there we'll see what happens feeling like, a bit spicy today yeah. Yeah. hit me with hit me with some of that southwest sauce alex what about you it's your topic what's your ideal sandwich so the perfect sandwich in my mind is the lemongrass chicken bami it is the mm. perfect blend of a great bun it's a french baguette toasted fresh you get the lightness of pickled uh carrots radish you get the freshness of the cilantro you get the tender meatiness of the lemongrass chicken um i'm i'm my mouth is watering yeah, i can tell you about it. like, oh, yeah. oh yeah but basically if if i can have any sandwich in the world i would go for that one and there, there is a specific shop in Toronto that I always try to uh, get one from whenever I'm, I'm in the office. But uh, yo, shout them out, just, Alex. They're a small business. Shout them out. Yeah, uh, Bami Metro uh, on uh, Lawrence, just in, on the other side in Scarborough. Fantastic Bami's. You got to check them out. They're delicious. Never been disappointed. There you go. Keeping it in the hood. Alex, thank you for this topic. Nazreen, thank you for your thoughts. Ramya, thank you for your sandwich thoughts as well. Just as we're wrapping up the program, I want to mention, speaking of sandwiches, found out last night that my third favorite diner in Ottawa closing, not as a result of the pandemic. Here's what happened. This wonderful place called Flapjacks that specialized in pancake sandwiches was amazing. But they had a problem. They could never get their delivery orders straight. Every time you would order something from them, something would be missing. So this amazing food kept getting rated 3.2 stars on Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes because they could never get those deliveries and handoffs right. Oh, what a crime. What a crime. Rest in peace, Flapjacks. I'll never forget your hollandaise sauce. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.